Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome again to Syriana Analysis. I'm your host, Kirk Almasian. Today, I'm joined by a special guest, Mr. Hapal Brar. He is an Indian politician, writer, and the founder, uh, founder and former chairman of the Communist Party of the Great Britain. It's very great to have you on Syriana Analysis, sir, in order to hear your insight on what is going on nowadays in Africa from coup d'etats, revolts against colonialism and neocolonialism. We have to step in into uh, this uh, information warfare and try to clear up to the people what's going on there. So thank you very much for being my guest again, Australian Analysis. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great honor to be on your channel. The honor is mine, the honor is mine sir. Actually, in 2011, uh, a NATO-led invasion removed Libya's leader Gaddafi from power and murdered him in the most heinous way. That was a day that touched me a lot in 2011. This was 12 years ago. A few years after the invasion of uh, Libya, we learned, thanks to WikiLeaks, that one of the main reasons for the destruction of Libya by NATO was to stop Gaddafi's proposed plan to establish a unified currency for Africa backed by gold or based on gold. Now, after 12 years uh, of this incident, military coups happening in the Sahel region in Africa, and the leaders of the military juntas are quoting economic independence from neo-colonialism. How much these coups were inspired, in your opinion, by Gaddafi's dream to unify the African countries economically? And what is the difference between colonialism and neo-colonialism for starters? Well... Libya had done a lot of things which in the eyes of imperialism were outrageous. They could not be tolerated. You mentioned one thing, that he wanted to establish a currency which would free itself from the domination of the dollar. He'd done a number of other things. He started giving a lot of help to African countries, including in the field of telecommunication. He'd used the Libyan state's considerable oil resources and wealth for the benefit of the Libyan people. I mean, an average Libyan had his own house, a telephone, a car. If they wanted to study and the education facilities in a particular subject were not available in Libya, they were sent abroad at the expense of, of, of the state. During a certain phase in the, lib in the liberation struggle of the Irish people in Northern Ireland, he supplied weapons to, to, to the IRA. Now, that's really a red, red rag to the bull. British imperialism was extremely angry, angry about that. And by raising the living standard of the Libyan people, he'd shown that it's not the God-given fate of the African people to live in poverty. Africa is a very rich continent. There's not a single mineral that's not available in, 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 in Africa. The Democratic Republic of Congo is one example. It's rich in every kind of mineral. And what do the Congolese people get? They get millions of their people slaughtered. First, King Leopold slaughtered 10 million people. And then when independence came, the imperialists could not tolerate its anti-imperialist government headed by Patrice Lumumba. So they had him murdered and they appointed their stooge Mobutu 
and looted the country. And of course, Mobutu got his cut, few billion dollars. And Libya was really a shining example of what African countries should be doing and what they should be doing to each other to help each other. So Libya was in the crosshairs of imperialism and they've been targeting. So they murdered Gaddafi, and as you quite rightly said, in the most heinous way, this is their example of rules-based international order. This is their example of what they will call democracy and, and freedom. Now, no country can have a government if it's not approved by Anglo-American imperialism. And that's why, because they target so many countries through economic sanctions, weaponizing trade and everything, that most people are getting fed up. Increasingly, the number of countries who don't want to keep their uh, national reserves in American-denominated assets is eventually going to hurt the do dollar domination. They're digging their own, own grave because they made so many enemies. You know, imperialism, as Chairman Mao used to say, is like a fire brigade in a town where fires are breaking out everywhere. It goes from one end of the town to quench a fire and another one breaks out in another part. That's what imperialism is, is facing. And the people of the world, if they understand that, and they're increasingly beginning to understand, then in those circumstances, imperialism does not stand a chance. It may have all the weaponry, but in the final analysis, it's not weapons that decide the outcome of the struggle and the outcome of the war. It's the spiritual quality of human beings fighting. Otherwise, what chance would Syria have to stand up against the mighty US imperialism? It stands precisely because the Syrian government has the support of its people. And what's more, despite all the lies that are told, oh, it's a Alawite minority regime, the population does not like it. The majority of the soldiers in the Syrian army are not Alawites. They're Sunni Muslims, but they fully support their country's government because that government is standing for the rights of the Syrian people to have an independent existence and an independent economy, not in any way um, constrained by, by, by imperialism. Bashar al-Assad will become a darling of the West tomorrow if he changed his tune. And he said, no, everything is fine. We'll do what you ask us to. I mean, the American president at the time had said, we'll call off this, this, this trouble in Syria if Syria would break its connection and relationship with Iran. And to the credit of the Syrian government, and it's for a long time, not just Bashar al-Assad, Hafez al-Assad also cultivated a close relationship with Iran because the Syria-Iran um, axis is the bedrock of the independence movement in the Middle East. And this is something that needs need, need to be supported. So once they had overthrown the Syrian regime, they got the worst of everything. There's a huge rush of migration in Libya. Libya. There is a huge rush of migration from various countries through Libya, because Libya hasn't got a state anymore. It's actually a broken country. It's a fail, failed state. Failed not of its own accord, failed because of the efforts of imperialism. So hundreds of thousands of people are waking, making for the West. And this is causing problems, because in the European countries, as you know about Germany, there is an anti-immigrant feeling. On the one hand, they need the, the foreign labor. On the other hand, there are right-wing elements in their countries who rail against immigrants. And in order to pacify them, 
we're constantly conducting anti-immigration propaganda. So it's causing problems at, 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 at a certain level. And also, of course, having seen what happens in Libya, other countries have learned they must not go down the road as Gaddafi misguidedly did, i.e. disarm itself. They gave up their nuclear program. They fell for the lies and promises of imperialism. And as soon as imperialism felt safe, they, they attacked them. Iraq did exactly the same. And that's precisely why a small country of 22 million people, like the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, says we are never going to disarm ourselves. Our nuclear weapons program is not up for negotiation. You want to talk to us about normalizing the relations? Yes, the first thing we would like you to do is take away your forces from South Korea. Leave us alone. Stop exercising intimidation on us every day, 24 hours, hours a day. So people are learning. And, and Syrians have been pretty cute for a very long time. They've learned how to conduct themselves precisely because they are, they are against the, the, the Zionist regime in, in Israel, which has been imposed by imperialism. Palestinian people's land, Palestinians who lived there for over a thousand years, has been stolen by European Jews in the name of creating a Jewish, Jewish, Jewish state. Now, if you got to go far back in history, no country is safe. Every country's history shows that at some stage, other people were pres pres present there. You will find the same in Iraq. You'll have to bring the Mongols to come and ru 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 rule you. If tomorrow, the Mongolian government made a claim to Syria, well, they'd be laughed at in their face, wouldn't they? And yet the Zionists actually claimed that because imperialism had the power at that time to impo impose its will. And Syrian regime in Syria, has... In Syria is the same, sir. If we want to go back in history, 7,000 years ago, we have the Assyrians, we have the Akkadis, we have lots of, uh, 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 let's say, ethnicities who came and civilizations to Syria. And nowadays, Syria consists of, uh, it's, it's, it's one sort of a cradle of civilizations. It's a boat of different civilizations and cultures that live together. And in my opinion, this was a, a strength factor for Syria before the war. And this is why uh, the imperialists tried to break this uh, mosaic in the Syrian society and tried to push for sectarian narratives in order to divide the country uh, into vertical lines to create different macro difference dif uh, sectarian states so that also Israel can thrive as a, only the state only for the Jews. If your neighboring countries are states based on Jews country, Kurdish country, and you have an Alawite country, what makes it Israel not to be a, only a, a country only for the Jews? And this is something that I also argue on um, and in different panels that you get called anti-Semite about these uh, uh, cases, unfortunately, if you say so. But if we go to the uh, African case, the coup leaders uh, nowadays, they say they want for Africa to be relevant on the grand chessboard, geopolitical chessboard. And hence, they are pursuing good relations with China and Russia. In your opinion, are Moscow and Beijing trustworthy partners, or are they another colonizer wearing the costume of the liberator? And I want to be very honest with you. The current Russia is not the Soviet Union. The current Russia, for example, they have a mercenary group called Wagner, and the Wagners are in, in Africa. Can we really trust a mercenary group to pursue the uh, interests of the Africans? 
I, I take the last part of your your statement um, um, first, and then I go back back to the other question. Wagner Group is not a private group; it's created by the Russian intelligence. It was created in order to actually have some influence in parts of Africa where they could help slightly progressive progressive governments, but with deniable plausibility that it had nothing to do. It was just a private army being hired by others. And there's nothing Wagner, Wagner can do, which actually is not approved by the Russian state. So I wouldn't call it, call it a private group. The stories that you read from the scandalous newspapers like the Daily Mail or something to the so-called responsible newspaper like the Financial Times and the Liberal Guardian, which basically is a fascistic newspaper, they're just rubbish. You don't, whatever they say, in 999 cases out of 1,000, if you assume the opposite, you will be right. You don't have to have much political knowledge, just assume that what they're saying is just the opposite, opposite of truth. Truth is something that kills them. Truth is their biggest enemy. And truth is our best friend. Because we stand for truth, because we stand for justice, our struggle is just, and we wage it not with lies, but backed by truth. That is why we are in the final analysis and uh, in, in, in invincible. And of course, are China and Russia reliable? In my view, they are reliable because they have no imperialist interest to dominate these countries. Of course, they want to have trade. Of course, they want to have good relations with. But if you look at China, what has China taken out of Afri Africa? They have built hospitals, universities, sports stadiums, crick cricket sta stadiums, schools, educational in 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 institutions. They've helped them develop their industries. They're not bringing capital there so they can extract the maximum of profit and take it to their own country for the benefit of their own pe people. I'm not saying the Chinese are a charitable institution. They're not. They're like any other country. They have to make uh, sure that they can actually uh, conduct their affairs in a way which does not bank, 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 bankrupt them. And the Russians are exactly the same. Russians have a very long history of being in Africa, except that they were in the form of Soviet Union, which is, of course, a different kettle of fish. But capitalist Russia, basically, after the collapse of the Soviet Union in 1991, had given up on Africa. They had actually vacated the field, and the field was left open to U.S. imperialism. Only recently, they have begun to re-engage, and their re-engagement for Africa is good. They're not behind any of the coups d'etat in these countries. But these coups are taking place not because the people of these countries think military is a better thing than a civilian government. It is because their civilian governments were so thoroughly corrupt and were such minions and flunkies of imperialism that they were loot, allowing imperialism to loot their countries. The military people, basically motivated by nationalist feelings of honor and trying to safeguard the interests of their countries, have come to car. These young leaders, like the leader of Burkina Faso and 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 and, and, and Mali, they they are not liked by imperialism. But are they the only military military governments? There are plenty of military governments that I can give you the examples of. They are on very friendly terms with imperialism. 
military or civilian government is not the enemy of imperialism, it's the policy they pursue. You know, as in any war, you must look at the policy by the, by the two, two contending, contending, contending parties, you know. War is nothing but a continuation of policy that preceded the war, and it is a policy that the achievement of which the contending parties are, tra are, are, are struggle, struggle, struggling for. So I think Russia and China are good news because at the very least, they are blocked to imperialism. Imperialism cannot run amok as it would if these countries were not here. And the only way to find out is a very sad way that these countries disappear from the scene and then you'll see how haughty the imperialists were. Imperialism has, imperialism has tried to reconquer, confining ourselves to the Middle East. The Middle East, precisely because the Soviet Union had disappeared, because the obstacle to their expansion had, 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 had gone. Now you ask the question, what's the difference between colonialism and neocolonialism? Colonialism is where they come and directly rule over you. Of course, they try every method to rule over. I'm reminded of the fact India was not conquered by the British. India was conquered by the Indians for the British. I mean, they, they rule best where they can rule through other people. When the British came, no way could the British actually conquer India. Indian strike was strong. India and China at that time accounted for 40% of the global G GDP. India was very advanced in trade and, 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 and manufacture. But what happened was because of the feudal structure, my struggle against you was more important to me and your struggle against me was more important to you than our joint struggle against the people who are trying to conquer us. That's how Middle East has been actually subdued for the last over 100 years. And people have to understand that. And Israel serves not only the purpose for bringing Zionists there, but actually it's what they call it, for the moment at least, an unsinkable aircraft carrier. It's very cheap. Israel is funded to the extent of $4 billion a year and probably another 4 or $5 billion in military aid and all the rest of it. But it's cheap. If you know when imperialism puts boots on the ground, it waged a war in Iraq which cost over $2 trillion. It waged a war in Afghanistan which cost another $2 trillion. And it bankrupts, of course, the treasury. It's the American people who lose, but the American corporations, oil, armament, finance, they, they make money. Because the, a nation's wealth under capitalism is the wealth of the bourgeoisie. It's not the wealth, 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 wealth of, the, of the people. And that's precisely what... So neocolonialism is an attempt to rule by looking very friendly, by looking not interested in, in interference, but interfering indirectly by dividing people against, against each other. And that's what they've done. In Middle East, could they ever, could the Zionist state ever be, feel as safe as it feels now if, for example, the Egyptians were, 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 were fight, fight, fighting against, against, against that state in earnest? Zionism is not, is not strong. The tragedy of Israel, if you like, is Jews who were the most progressive people in the world. They were so prominent in the Bolshevik Revolution that the Nazis said it was a, it was a Zionist Bolshevik plot. And 
and they basically said that the Jews were responsible for the Bolshevik Revolution. I don't think they were, but the thing is, Jews were very progressive. And the tragedy is the Zionists, with the help of imperialism, have been able to Zionize Judaism. We're not against Judaism. People can practice any religion they like, whether they're Muslim, Jews, Hindus, Sikhs, Christians. We have no problem with that. You know, which church you go to, which marble floor you bang your head against it, that's your problem. That's not our problem. But it becomes our problem if that religion is actually weaponized to use against people, against, against, against their, 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 their own interests. So neocolonialism, after the Second World War, it was clear the old colonial system was off. After the October Revolution, it was clear that colonialism could not carry on because one of the abiding features of the Soviet Union under Lenin and Stalin was that the struggle of the proletariat in the advanced countries would be a fraud if, it, if the people of these countries were not closely connected with the hundreds upon hundreds of millions of people who were exploited by their own ruling class in the countries of Asia, Africa, and Latin America. So the national question was no longer confined to a few so-called civilized nations, the Poles, the Irish, the Serbs, etc. The national question had become an international question because the October Revolution for the first time actually showed that the attempt to divide people some being backwards, some not being backwards, some being black, some being, 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 being white, some being civilized, others being uncivilized. And the October Revolution actually put an end to that rubbish and non nonsensical talk. So people began to assert themselves, especially after the Second World War, when the victories of Red Army in the Second World War, which basically single-handedly defeated the mightiest military machine known to the world up to that time, German imperialism and German fascism, they defeated them. It had come with a tremendous amount of prestige. It was demanding freedom of the, of the colonies. And funnily enough, so did America, because unless the, these colonies in the Middle East and elsewhere were freed from the clutches of Anglo-French imperialism, American imperialism could not hope to get its mitts on them. So there was a pressure both from the Soviet Union and the United States for independence of these countries. So these countries achieved independence. They got a flag, they got a constitution, but not every country was in a position to exercise economic independence because all this independence, the flag means nothing if people cannot put food on the table, if they cannot send their kids to school, if they cannot have treatment for diseases they, they suffer from. And so the colonialists uh, uh, tried, tried their own, own, own methods of doing, and that's what they're doing. So since we were speaking about uh, fascism and uh, exploitation of Africa, colonialism, neocolonialism, how do you explain the irony of a populist right-wing groups in Germany, Italy, and France calling for non-intervention in Africa and the end of French business and financial monopoly in terms of printing, uh, for example, the currency uh, franc to 40 African countries, whereas the so-called, let's say, liberal and left-wing groups in these countries are just on the opposite side. Well, as far as the liberal and left-wing groups are concerned, 
basically they are neither liberal nor, nor left-wing groups. In terms of their policies, their policies would not, for example, taking Germany as an example, would not be very different from the uh, uh, alternative for Germany. The, but to the extent that the right-wingers make the correct noises, like we should not be interfering in foreign wars, Ukraine's war is not, not our war, we should look after our own people. We have absolutely nothing against it, but always remembering that people of right-wing orientation, fascists who are populist, they use this populism to get power. But once they come to power, it's not that they're going to look after the people, it's not that they won't wage, wage any wars. They would, but for the moment, to the extent that they're weakening the establishment, if they're weakening Schultz in your, your country, in the Social Democrats and the so-called Greens, who actually cannot allow you to drink from a plastic bottle, but are happy to throw bombs everywhere. You know, this, 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 this is their green. They've been doing that ever since the war against Yugoslavia. Uh, you're too young to remember. You remember Joschka Fischer? I do remember him from the he, stories that I heard in Germany, but not yeah, personally. He, 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 he was a foreign minister in the coalition yes. between the Social Democrats and, and the Greens at the time. And, you know, he was very happy to go around and bomb. Uh, very various towns in 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 Yugoslavia. Germans were, of course, in the van. They were in the leadership of the breakup of Yugoslavia, and the Greens were very happy 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 to go go along go along with it. So, as far as the right wingers are concerned, at the moment, I find myself in agreement with the right wingers, not because I approve of their ideology, but anything that causes contradictions in the camp of the main enemy, that is Anglo-American imperialism and the neo-Nazi NATO alliance is a good thing in my view. I totally um, agree may, with you. You may disagree with that. No, I totally agree with you. I live in Germany and I will be very honest with you. I have friends from the Linke party, which is the left and the uh, far left. And some of them are uh, on the geopolitical stand of uh, uh, point of view. They truly understand geopolitics and they know how to counter the hegemony of the U.S., whether it's in Germany or through the gate of Ukraine, and also have friends from the AFD. And when you sit with them, their literature, when it comes to the foreign policy, it seems like it is serving in the same direction of weakening the U.S. empire or the NATO-led coalition here in Europe. And this is, um, in my opinion, a positive development in the greater context of weakening the, uh, the empire, the U.S. empire. And that is why you can see in Germany, for example, the, um, the Agency for the Protection of the Constitution, which is the uh, foreign intelligence uh, agency in Germany, they are trying to ban uh, the AFD from, uh, from political life because at the moment in Germany, the only tangible opposition to the current system in Germany is coming from the far right. The, unfortunately, I'm saying the far left or the left wing party is uh, they're scoring 4.5 to 5 percent only in the elections. And the other so-called left parties, like you mentioned, the Greens, in my opinion, uh, if I want to give an, uh, a prize and award for the most hypocritical uh, political party, uh, not only in Germany, but Europe, they would be the Greens. They run for the elections uh, on big, big slogans like uh, non-interference in the domestic affairs of other countries, no bombing of foreign countries, and not 
not to send weapons to foreign countries, and they violated the three main pillars of their foreign policy programs just right after they came uh, to power. They yeah, they come after you for using so much plastic, and then they send billions. And I'm serious, um, they're sending billions to Ukraine, and also they're sending tens of millions to the Al-Qaeda-held Idlib in Syria without um, uh, any clear mechanism of how this money is being spent. And if and they stand here in front of the microphone with a straight face and they say, we are supporting democratic, uh, the last bastion for democracy in Syria. And if any of these politicians in the Greens, if they walk and go to Idlib, they would be either decapitated or they will be uh, uh, assaulted or they will be raped if they are women. And especially if they are from the LGBT community or they are homosexuals, they are literally sending money to a place where the rulers of, the, of this place, they have 180 degree opposite views of them and they're claiming to their people that they are uh, pro-democracy and they are pro-environment, etc. But the people, you can fool the people for a few weeks or a few months. But then the truth comes uh, to the surface and people start to see you cannot hide the sunshine forever. At the end of the day, the sun will shine whether you like it or not. And the people in Germany, in my opinion, at this current moment, because they feel a huge socioeconomic burden on their shoulders, whether it's because of the economic crisis or because they opened up policy for the refugees here in Germany, like, uh, they were manipulated, the, the people here. And the media plays a very instrumental role and very practices hegemony over the people's brains. So they cannot really think independently. If someone is waking up six in the morning to go to, 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 go to work at eight and comes from work at six at night and sits in front of the TV and eats something and then watches, watches the TV, this person doesn't have a time to do any research, to double check the information. But once they started feeling the burden, as I mentioned, the economic burden and the social burden, they are going to go to the opposite side, to the AFD, because this is the only party that they haven't voted for yet. This is the only party that wasn't in the system yet. So we have to understand also why, like, not uh, if the if the AFD is scoring 25%, in 2013, they had 3%. So the 22% extra that they, they are having now, they are getting from the other parties, from the CDU, from the SPD, from the Greens. These people were not neo-Nazis or fascists, as they claim, but they are voting for AFD because they want an alternative and they want uh, uh, to solve the socioeconomic problem. And one of the issues that Germany is heavily involved in now is Syria. And I want to ask you about Syria because I personally come from Syria. I saw uh, firsthand what the U.S. did to my country. And I call them criminal psychopaths because it's unimaginable what they did to Syria. And people cannot, maybe they cannot comprehend the amount of pain they inflicted upon the Syrian people, whether through supporting radical uh, takfiris, the Wahhabis, just like they did with the Arab Mujahideen in the Soviet Union against the uh, in, in Afghanistan against the Soviet Union, they did it in Syria. They have murdered over 500,000 people because of this war, and now they are imposing draconian sanctions on the Syrian people in order to choke them, like they did with Iraq, where they killed half a million children, and Madden Madden Albright said. Oh, the price was worth it uh, for killing half a million children. Only psychopaths, in my opinion, can say something like this. And unfortunately, that the U.S. is the absolute empire nowadays, a superpower, that everybody uh, is uh, has to do calculations. Because now, the U.S. has occupation forces in Syria. They are occupying our oil fields. They are occupying our wheat fields. 
and they're burning the wheat fields and then sending genetically modified uh, seeds to plant new wheat for for Syria. This is unimaginable what what they're doing in Syria. So in your opinion, does Syria stand a chance uh, in the near future to keep this U.S. occupation forces out of Syria? Or should Damascus wait for a potential change in the balance of power in favor of Russia-China alliance through the gate of Ukraine? And before I come to the most important part of, 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 of your contribution, just let me make a rather jovial remark. Idlib, Idlib controlled by the jihadis, seems to be just the right place where Annalyn Baerbock should be sent to practice her, 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 her green, green, green credentials. But coming to... But come, and then second point I'd like to make is, AFD is, is, is getting the traction that it's getting precisely because the war against the, the, that NATO is waging against Russia is two-edged. Two it's not just a war against Russia, it's also war against Germany. Germany is a powerhouse of Europe, economically speaking, and its economy was built on a very good formula, cheap Russian gas supplied to German industry, and German industries engineering prowess mixed together made, made them a formidable force against which none of the European countries could compete. So America wanted to destroy that competitor. Also at the same time, it wanted to make sure that Germany never close, came closer to Russia. If Germany and Russia were, clo if Germany and Russia were, clo were closer, then it would really mean the end of American hegemony in, 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 in Western Europe. And that's precisely why, to make sure that Germany will not come closer to Russia, they destroyed the Nord Stream pipeline. It's not done by small boats, dinghies coming with some Ukrainian officers or Polish officers. It's done by the American army and, 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 and Navy. They've destroyed it so as to take away the chance forever to restore the Nord Stream pipeline. Because even if relations between Germany and Russia were to improve, it'll take years for it, for, for it to be restored. And German people, especially the followers of AFD, understand that this war is also against them. And they are able to actually speak for the national interest, and that's why they're getting the votes that they're getting in, in, in the elections. Now coming to your last point, which is very important. Can Syria, Syria win? My answer is yes, Syria can. What's more, I would even make bold to say Syria has won. The attempt to overthrow the Syrian regime and have a puppet regime imposed on them, notwithstanding the horrendous costs, like over 5 million Syrians giving, giving, giving their lives uh, as a result of this struggle. Economic sanctions, which really are as bad as weapons, weapons of mass, dis mass destruction. They devastate people's lives. Imperialists go to these countries. First, they help to physically destroy them, and then they impose economic sanctions. They waged a war against Afghanistan for 20 years, and now they've lost there, and they've stolen the Afghan central bank's reserves in America, about 700 um, billion. They're not releasing that money, and they're imposing sanctions on the grounds that Afghans do not allow 
girls to attend school. Now, girls should be allowed to attend school, but this is a matter that the Afghans can solve. Girls were going to school during the earlier progressive regime, and America waged a war through the jihadis against the progressive regime, which was supported by the Soviet Union. They destroyed schools, they bombed hospitals, they bomb bombed cl cl clinics, they bombed every social facility. And of course, if girls were going to school, those schools were targeted. They don't give a damn whether girls are educated or not. They don't give a damn whether you get any health protection or not. All they care is how much profits they can extract out of you. And imperialism does not seek freedom. It seeks domination. Domination in its internal policy through the monopolies and domination abroad. That's precisely their constantly waging wars. These are not wars for freedom. These are not wars for establishment of rule of law or women's rights or democracy and all the guff that they talk about. They are wars for domination. And people, even the most dim-witted ones in the countries of Asia, Africa and Latin America understand that because they're the target of these attacks. It doesn't require much political knowledge and a PhD in, 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 in political economy to be able to understand what imperialism is about. They face it every day. It's the idiots with PhDs in the centers of imperialism, the so-called left, who actually need to be taught this lesson, not the people in the Middle East or anywhere else. Actually, one of these uh, so-called academics and professors was my own uh, supervisor uh, during my master's degree in political science. And I do truly believe that uh, many professors also in the Middle East, their brains are so colonized by the books that they have. Uh, their knowledge is only based on the books that they have consumed from uh, the Western literature. And they are completely detached from the people on the ground. They don't have any direct communication with the people. They don't uh, understand their needs and their sufferings. And they are pursuing ideological approach toward uh, different geopolitical conflicts, such as in Syria, and all this enthusiasm to overthrow the government in Syria because it was autocratic. And these people are from the liberal uh, side of the professors. So they pushed for this regime change war on an academic level. And we have seen the results on the ground was carrying the fight against Assad. Assad has millions of, he did millions of mistakes, but he wasn't punished because of his mistakes. He was punished because of the mistakes that he hasn't committed. And those are basically on a foreign policy level. So they pushed for this agenda in Syria, unfortunately. And we have now, uh, half the country is destroyed. 90% of the people below the poverty line. And there are sanctions shocking the people and the food and the uh, energy baskets are occupied by the United States. So yes, imperialism has wrecked apart Syria and brought so much, inflicted so much pain on the Syrian people. And the hope for me is that the allies of Syria um, can um, overcome this struggle of power with the United States and also can be able to support Syria financially and in the reconstruction process because the entire international monetary system and financial system is still based on the dollar. And once the United States imposes sanctions on Syria or any other country, other countries will just follow these uh, sanctions. But if the monetary system is changed, then the sanctions will be worthless. Well, Syria, Syria is not without friends. Syria has a very good friend in Iran, and it's backed by China, and it's backed by Russia. So it's not that Syrians are powerless, and Syria has a very loyal army. 
which has given proof of its fighting capacity. It has not buckled under pressure and that imperialism has exercised through its murderous uh, gangs, the jihadis, and of course various intelligence agencies, and, and they, 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 they provide them with intelligence and targeting and all, all, all the rest of it. And Syria has survived precisely because mainly it relies on its own ability, but it has got good friends. Having good friends is very important. The art of politics is to increase the circle of your friends and diminish the circle of your enemies. Syria has cultivated itself in such a way that even the camel jockeys in Saudi Arabia feel obliged to, to invite Bashar al-Assad to go and, go and meet them. Can you imagine that? You think that pleased American imperialism? Or that the UAE was the first place in the Middle East to start having uh, some rapprochement with, with Syria. And they say Syria has been returned to the Arab family. Syria had never left the Arab family. It's the others who left the Arab family. Syria was fighting for the interests of Arab people. Syria's fight was not just its own fight. It was this fight for the honor, dignity, sovereignty, independence, and economic well-being of the people of the Middle East. I totally agree with you, sir. And uh, I would like to end up this conversation with you in Arabic. We say, even if we discuss till tomorrow, I would never get bored discussing with you about these things. I truly look uh, up to you in your geopolitical understanding. And uh, I would like also to invite the people to follow uh, your other podcasts and other interviews. And I will post some of them uh, in the description below so that they also uh, get your insight and opinion on other geopolitics political issues. But till then, uh, Mr. Hapel Brad, thank you very much for joining me on Syrian Analysis. It was my it's, pleasure it's, and honor to be It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for sparing the time to interview me. And thank you very much for dedicating your valuable time to the audience of Syrian Analysis. I'm sure they appreciate your insight and we have learned a lot from you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Proletarian Radio. We aim to bring you the best Marxist analysis on current affairs, revolutionary history, and theory. Do like, comment, subscribe, and share our content to help us reach the widest possible audience. We are a small organization with limited resources, and we need worker support if we are to grow and fulfill our mission. If you are able to make a one-off or regular donation, no matter how small, please visit our website at thecommunists.org and register as a supporter.